Welcome to Pilates Teacher's Manual, your guide to becoming a great Pilates teacher. I'm Olivia, and I'll be your host. Join the conversation and the Pilates community on Instagram at Pilates Teacher's Manual, and visit buymeacoffee.com slash Podcasts to support the show. Today's chapter starts now. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am super thrilled today to be on with Trent McIntyre, who is a literal Pilates superhero for reasons that will soon become clear. Uh, He is a movement educator with over two decades of experience. He is the owner of McIntyre Pilates and the founder and author of Fire Up Your Brain, which he will be able to share lots of cool stuff about. So, so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me, Trent. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. What a party. Um, I want to jump right in. How did you come to Pilates? If you can remember your first experience, tell me what was that like? Yeah, my first experience was... Um, when I was in college and you know at the time Pilates was in lawsuit mode where you weren't allowed to say the word Pilates and so I took dancer specific conditioning on the reformer (laughs) and that's what we had to call it we had to be very clear about that so we didn't breach any possible issues so for me it was it was it was a college exposure and it was it was directed towards dancers and so the the work had a at first, a particular uh, angle towards helping to improve dancers' abilities and keep them on the stage. Okay, so it's a bit of a jump to go from I'm doing this Pilates that I can't call Pilates to now I am the founder of like a wild Pilates empire. How did you get inspired to be a teacher in the first place? Yeah, you know, I when I went to college, I was one of those people lucky enough to have just a really awesome college experience where I took advantage of every opportunity and said yes to just about everything that came across my lap, even if it was really hard and even if I hated it, I would still do it to to get the experience. And when I finished uh, taking the dancer specific conditioning (laughs) on the reformer, my professor was like, I'd love for you to TA the class. And I'm like, well, yes. Okay, the answer is yes. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but I'll do that. And then because I was also um, in her kinesiology class, she asked me to TA that class at the same time. So I, I, I went from, while being a student and taking these, these courses, to then assisting with the course. And how, how the assisting with the course worked is basically I took on students as my clients. And so I didn't even know that I would want to teach. I didn't know that I was going to teach or pursue a life in this world. Um, it was through working with these dancers that it just really started to spark an interest in helping other people. So did you, uh, or I guess I should say, what was your uh, teacher training sort of process? Did you do a comprehensive training? Did you start just with the reformer and then build? What was that like for you? Yeah, I have a kind of an interesting and patched together situation where, you know, I I spent four years in college working in in the movement therapies, Pilates, and in that movement therapies category, I was doing Laban movement analysis, I was doing Bartenia fundamentals and Feldenkrais and 
you name it. I was, I had great exposure to all these modalities um, to the point where I, I had a different view on movement solutions from the beginning. So I didn't start with a comprehensive Pilates training and have that be my window that I was looking through. I started with this dynamic application of all these modalities. But the thing is, is that it really was my own story and my own recovery of my own injury that brought it together. Because I still, at that point, wasn't pursuing a career in teaching. I wasn't trying to, you know, go and become a Pilates teacher. I didn't even, that wasn't even really a thing that was on the radar for most people at that time, you know? Um, but, you know, I'll just tell you the story. I, I you know, I, I was fortunate enough to dance at a high level when I was in college and our university brought in for the dancers in the crowd. They'll get this. If, if you're not a dancer, it's okay. But um, they were able to bring in the New York City Ballet, the Balanchine Trust. So that meant that somebody from New York City Ballet who was in charge of George Balanchine's work would come in and set this very important work. So just know if you're not a dancer, it's just, it's such an honor to be able to be involved in that level of, of an artist. And so the demand was severe. It was intense. And at the end of it, I could barely walk. I would get up in the morning and like shuffle to the shower and have such pain from the knees down. And I thought this could be, this could be, I might be just done. This is like, this is bad. And, and, you know, being in college, I didn't have resources. I wasn't going to therapy or getting massage or knew what to do. And honestly, when I asked people what to do, the things that they suggested were ridiculous. And it was just like, you know, it ranged from put icy hot on it and wrap it in cellophane. And it was just like crazy things. It was like, yeah, that doesn't really address the problem. I have a real problem here. And I was home um, for Christmas and I was just kind of complaining to my mom about how much pain I was in. And I just don't get it. Like why, why from the knees down, why is it such a problem and so intense on both sides? And I just don't get it. And she looked at me and she said, oh, Trent, that's because you were born with cerebral palsy. And I was like, wait, wait, what? First of all, what is that? What are, what are you even saying right now? And so I was 19 when I found out that I had a class one cerebral palsy. And a lot of people have a class one and you would never know by looking at somebody with a class one that there's any issues that they had any kind of brain injury at birth. It's not something you, until you get like a class three, usually then you can see when you look at somebody like there's a, a marked gait or there's some kind of dysfunction that's very clear. And so um, I was upset at first, but in the long run, it became a gift that I didn't know. I didn't grow up having that label. And, and she's like, do you remember when you were three? And I was like, I don't remember three, but she sparked my memory by saying, um, you know, you, they, the doctors decided to put casts on your legs to force your heels down because the side effect for me with, from the cerebral palsy was that I couldn't put my heels down. My Achilles tendon was so short that I couldn't put my heels down. Now, there's a difference between, you know, being a, a toe walker and having the ability to put the heels down. In my case, I didn't have the range. And so they put casts on my legs and forced my heels to the ground. No surgeries, nothing invasive, which is probably good in the long run. But I was like, you know, I do remember that because I remember my brother putting garbage bags on my cast and then throwing me in the snowbank because that was hilarious because I wouldn't be able to walk very well because I had casts on, right? Because <laughs> I did both legs at the same time. That's my only memory. And so that's when, when I went back to school, I decided I'm going to see if I can do something about this. And having this background in kinesiology and anatomy and movement science and movement therapies, it's like somehow I feel like I can put this together because I honestly felt like these movement therapies are amazing, but they don't make me stronger. 
this Pilates thing makes me really strong, but it's not, it's not enough patterning. It just isn't enough patterning with what my body needs. So what if I put them together? So what I did is I start inventing exercises and I started journaling massive amounts of journaling on exercises that would work, things that didn't work, things that made it better, things that made it worse, how long the benefits would last. And I rehabbed my own injury. And I was able to get through the chronic inflammation and have a successful college career and then dance professionally afterwards. So that was like a very important moment that became the catalyst for where I am now. That is totally wild to find out something about your childhood that suddenly like is the missing piece of like why things are the way they are. That's, that's got to be an insane experience. And another thing that you said that really resonated with me is a lot of teachers that I talk to start in Pilates and kind of do what you did in reverse in that they start Pilates and then they widen their lens because the Pilates lens is very specific and very narrow. Um, and then they bring in all these movement modalities, but to start immediately from having, you know, I've got five different things that I have this experience in. So I'm not, you're not stuck in one lens. Like you already have multiple ways of looking at problem solving and to be able to identify um, what was missing in your own rehab and then solve your own problem. That's like very Joseph Pilates of you. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think you know, my whole life, I thought the way I felt was normal, my tightness and my restriction, this is just how people feel. And then till it wasn't and you know, getting into dance before even college was really so therapeutic, because there was so much mobility and strengthening that made my body feel better. I didn't know why it was making me feel better. I didn't realize that the, the cerebral palsy had such restriction that dancing was, at first, an antidote before it became a problem before before I was challenging myself at such a level to require so that would result in such overuse problems. Right. Because the dance you're talking about is not like, oh, I went to a dance class. You're talking like very high level sort of athlete performance in terms of things. Yeah. yeah these are, this, is, this is like 15 performances in a week because we had tech rehearsals, dress rehearsals, all the like kids coming in for midday rehearsals and practices and performances. Um, and this is, this is the little choreography that the New York city ballet did with George Balanchine. This isn't like a watered down version. This is like you <laughs> this do this it. version. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stake. And so you're very much at a very high level of athleticism and there's a lot of social pressure on you to do a good job so that the university can continue to have great works come into the program. Um, but yeah, my, my involvement in, the movement therapies and modalities was actually much bigger than my Pilates exposure at first. So when I started, you know, attending workshops and various um, opportunities and conventions with Pilates, it was more of like, not the main thought. It wasn't the main, that wasn't the main thing. My main thing was problem solving. And so I, I didn't, I rarely looked at Pilates as like, you know, I teach Pilates. I'm a Pilates teacher. I look at myself as a problem solver and Pilates is one of the tools that I use. And I think oftentimes we can get stuck in talking about our tool instead of talking about the real value we bring to people's lives. And so I'm much more interested in talking to someone about the value that they could have in their life versus like, here's a reformer and here's a spring. And I mean, that's cool, but that's not going to tell them how they're going to change their life. And, you know, that's like side note, if you're having a hard time getting clients and you're doing consults, Stop talking about your tools. Talk about like how you show up, what they need you for, why now. Anyway, rant over. 
talk about who you are and what you do and not the tools. <laughs> yeah, I think that's super valuable because I, I think Pilates teachers, I hang out mostly with Pilates teachers and we love talking about <laughs> our tools. But I think from a client's perspective, a little bit of a reformer introduction. I definitely appreciated when I first got on it and I was like, what is this torture device? But beyond that, it's like, how am I going to get stronger? How am I going to be able to do the thing that I can't do right now? How is this going to help me get there? I think that's, yeah. I think you're onto something. I'm very curious when I talk to somebody, it, what's at stake for them? You know, why, why do you want to have this conversation with me? Why now? What's at stake? What's going to improve in your life where you go, yeah, this is really worth spending time with you doing this work. And that's where I'm working towards something that's greater than just hip mobility or strong abdominals or functioning pelvis, whatever it is. Those things are valuable, but like, why? What's at stake? What are they going to be able to do? Can they continue to do stairs? Can they carry buckets of water to their animals in the barn? Like, what is it that's at stake for them? And that's a more interesting and I think keeps it fresher for me in terms of problem solving because I'm working towards something that's real in their life, not just something that's on a chart or in a book or what I'm supposed to do. Definitely, yes. Um, so tell me, from Pilates land, did you ever become a Pilates teacher and do a Pilates thing after you did teacher training things? I know you've got all these movement modalities. What was teaching like as a new teacher? Yeah, I, I went into, um, I went into um, a studio that was brand new. And I, and I don't want to name any programs because I'm not here to like raise anybody up or bring anybody down. So I'd, I'll just say that this is, this is my experience. I was brought into a studio. It was the first one to open in the area when I moved to Metro Detroit. And they're like, okay, I see you have extensive background. You have this, this training, but we really need you to go through our program. I'm like, okay, great. That sounds great. So I go through the program and then it was like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really love memorizing books and spitting back sentences that I'm supposed to say. So it was helpful, gave me perspective, but I really, it was like, actually, I think I've got a better idea. I think the idea here is to apply the patterning of movement therapies to the power of what these machines can do in a body. And so I started from scratch. And that's where McIntyre Pilates came from. It was like, no, we need a better mousetrap. We need a, something that's really going to allow the teacher to be a problem solver, to work in the gray, not the black and white. Here's right, here's wrong. Well, if the client doesn't fit into that, because who does? What do you do? And then you feel like you're not good enough and you're failing. But really, if you can just step back and be a problem solver and not have to have the answer first, then I think it's a healthier space to live in. So I wasn't interested in memorizing the answer and then having to know the answer before I saw the client. I want to see the client and like, who are you? What's going on? What's most important to you? Let's see if this works. And then based on the response, let's go here next. You know, like follow the path where we're getting results and avoid the path where it's like, nothing's happening. Let's go someplace else then. So it was actually taking a full program was like, yeah, I want to go the other way. <laughs> it was helpful, but I want to go the other way because I feel like I can help more people and I can have a bigger impact with my clients and also other teachers that want to go off and be problem solvers. This is really inspiring because I have had experiences where I'm like, sometimes the like the silver lining of this experience is that I know that I don't want to do this or I don't want to do it this way. And like super kudos to you for recognizing before you were like too deep in to be like, yeah, actually, this isn't how I would like to solve problems or this isn't how I want to teach. And I'm getting this just from talking to you and kind of your personality and all of, also all of the experience, all the work that you've done, that it sounds like you knew 
really clearly for yourself what you wanted to be as a teacher and like how you wanted your teaching to look, how you wanted your experience to look. And then you just did that, which I recognize is hard. I don't want to diminish your accomplishment, but like, I, I really see, I really see your personality as being like, you know, you know, what's good and you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember there was, there was a moment at the, at the studio where there was another teacher who was really representing this company, like top to bottom, they're the representative. And I had made an adjustment on the equipment on the, I was on the Cadillac and had my client doing an exercise and she came across the room, like, stop, 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 stop. You, you, you have to bring that, that bar down and you can't put your springs like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, you don't know me. <laughs> we're not going to, we're, we're not going to have an issue right now, but I'm going to tell you that's never going to happen again because the level that I go to, to build trust with my clients so that they know I've got them and for her to come over and just pull the rug out because it wasn't in the book. I was like, no, that's never going to happen again. And it never happened again because I made sure of it because ultimately the client is who's going to suffer. I, I don't care. Like I have thick skin. That's not really going to bother me. I wasn't like sad about it. It's just like, no, like the client made it here today. And you don't know what a client goes through to get in the car, to get to the studio, to keep their appointment. You don't know what's at stake for them and what's keeping them back or holding them down. So like, don't do that to them. It's not me. It's them that you're doing it to. And so it just reinforced. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to live in this black and white place. I don't want to teach out of the book where the setting is X and the spring is Y. And you have to say the breath like this because everybody learns different. Everybody needs different things. And what I was doing was actually really helpful for the client, in my opinion and their opinion. So, <laughs> Right. And I think that's got to be so liberating too. It's something I tell clients when we do variations of exercises is like all the exercises are made up. It's just who made them up, you know? So this is, you know, an Olivia original. <laughs> yeah. Can we just get real about it? For sure. Yeah. And also on that note, I'll, I have to say, I would love it. To, I would love to challenge new and experienced, even teachers that have been teaching for 30 years, to stop saying where you got the exercise. If, if somebody taught you something, you don't have to say, oh, well, I got this from so-and-so 20 years ago. This one I learned from so-and-so because you know what? they learned it from somebody and so did they and so did they and ultimately i think when you do that you diminish your power you give your power away because the the, the value of you actually showing up to to offer the exercise is where the enrichment happens it isn't the exercise in a vacuum it isn't giving someone credit unless it was super innovative and it's just like hey you got to know this but i hear so many people giving credit to everything they teach to the person who told them and i think that it's just better if we can own our power and, and know that we're here for the client and we're here to share the work. And if you're talking to other Pilates teachers and they want to know, they'll ask. And I'm happy to share that. I learned things from all kinds of people. I'm not going to hide it, but I'm not going to lead with it because then how are you going to trust me? Like, how do you know, like, I've got you if I'm saying I'm getting this stuff from all over the place? But instead, it's like, I'm assessing the situation. I'm working with you. We're problem solving together. Yeah. And I think that, you know, who you've learned from becomes another tool in your toolbox. Like I 100% respect and honor lineages. And I know for some people, it's very important that the way that they're cueing the exercise is specifically historically accurate to the teacher that they that they follow. But but I also recognize that the fact that you as a teacher recognize that that exercise is going to be a good fit for your client, that you can give them that exercise 
and you giving them the exercise and you're not going to do it exactly the same, even if you are trying that it's your way of doing it. And because you have that relationship with your client, that makes it more effective. They don't care who other Pilates teachers are. It occurs to me because <laughs> when I first got into Pilates, there is a lot of I don't know if it's gatekeeping necessarily, but there's a lot of who knows who and who's done what with who and did where. And you're expected there's like a really high barrier to entry in terms of like, well, I studied with so-and-so. And that's really, really cool. And I honor and respect that. And from a historical perspective, it's super neat. But I can see in a teaching way, if I was in class and it didn't matter, like why? why? Just give me the exercise. <laughs> yeah, I, I love lineages. I, I love. I love that there are people that want to follow and honor the way an idea was presented and kind of preserve that. I don't love that it has to be an argument. I think it's so silly because, you know, one of the things I love most about any, any workshop or course I've taught is the diversity in the room. I'd rather have the diversity. I'd rather have someone who's teaching a lineage, classic, authentic, whatever you want to call it, with somebody who's coming from a different background, who's creative, who's a problem solver, and is going to think outside the box. Because it's a better experience for everybody. And you can see what you like and what you don't like and, and get ideas in different ways because of that, that uniqueness. So I'd rather, I'd rather just, you know, honor it for everybody, you know? Yeah. It's not a fight. It, yeah, it doesn't have to be a fight. That's a waste of energy for sure. Um, you, again, seemed really sure of yourself when you came into movement land. But can you reflect a bit on how your teaching has changed over time or what you've noticed in yourself as you taught? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I was born with like an extra bucket of confidence. I'm not really sure why I was so confident and so sure. I just I didn't have a reason not to, I guess. I don't know. I just was like, yep, this is what I'm doing. This makes total sense. I'm going to reinvent everything. I'm going to put my name on it. Sure. Who does that, you know? And I got a lot of flack for it too. You know, like people are like, who do you think you are putting your name next to Pilates? And I was like, you know what? I love the challenge, but I didn't just open up a studio and call it McIntyre Pilates. I I have quite a background that resulted in really honoring what was created in the Pilates world and with what, what Joseph Pilates created. But also I have my own take on it. I have my own approach and problem solving. So I feel like that was a way to honor it because there's a lot of Pilates in what I do, but it's not really just Pilates. It's really certainly much more neurological work than it is just Pilates exercises in the vacuum. So I think how I've evolved is I've, I really feel like my confidence has grown in knowing that I'm going to find the answer. I think earlier on, I had more stress and more pressure on myself to find the answer quicker, like in this session, like in the next 10 minutes, I have to fix your hip flexors, you know? And I put that pressure on myself. Like I have to have the right exercise next. And if I don't have the right exercise, then I'm failing. And so I've really, I, I, I was just coaching somebody the other day on this. I said, you know, what if when someone comes in and I have this low back issue, whatever it is, that you spend the next two weeks helping them recover from it? Not the, not the first half hour, but if it takes you a couple of weeks, if it happens sooner, that's awesome. But what if you take the pressure off of yourself? And for me, that's relief. That's like, man, you know what? I'm sure it'll happen sooner, but I don't have to, it doesn't have to be now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what their situation is. I don't know what caused it. I have to get information. I have to learn about what's, what's really going on here. And I don't ever want to be in a position where my client approaches me with a fix me. I'm not, I'm not going to fix you. 
I want to problem solve for you in a way that you can't problem solve for yourself. And then you're going to do the work. And that's how you're going to keep the pattern. And that's how neurologically it's going to help you. But I can't fix you. Because if, if it was a fix you situation, then you're not going to, you're not going to keep it neurologically. The, the pattern is not going to stick. It's not going to be something that you own. And it's why, you know, you have, you get a surgery, you know, it fixes the problem, but now you have all these other side effects and, and bad patterning because you didn't do it yourself. You know, it's not neurologically wound into your practice. It was something that was done to fix a problem like a hip replacement, which is great. We need that. But then also not only do we have to recover from the, the fact that you have a artificial hip, but we have to recover from the surgery itself, you know? So it, it does, it does become complicated to think you're supposed to fix somebody in one session. I want to spread that out and give myself the freedom to make those decisions. So I think over time, it's really changed into less pressure and then helping other people feel less pressure to know the answer up front. Yeah. I mean, I would get clients intake forms and then have a session with them. Like they'd fill out the intake form and they give it to you and then you start the session. And then I've like got to know all things about, you know, ankle surgeries. And I'm like, okay, well, but I, I love, but I love this idea of seeing yourself as like a co-conspirator with your client because they have answers. They know what works in their body. And like, just like you had done all of this journaling about this made it worse, this made it better. They know, oh, you know, when I do a bunch of crunches, my back hurts. And I, you know, when I do a back bend, it feels better. And you can explore that, build on that, use the tools that you have as a teacher with all of your experience with bodies and movement modalities, but see it like so much less pressure to see it as an exploration and a process and not a instant gratification because Pilates takes a while I feel like we don't talk about that like it doesn't like you might feel great after but like real change takes time and consistency and work yeah it's a practice you practice it so that you can continue to improve your qualities and fill in gaps and and I think also it's if you approach it with a with a practice mind then if you have something that happens you already have a movement practice so you can just shift what you're doing you're not starting from scratch. I mean, think about the people that don't have a movement practice. They're not doing Pilates. They have no movement in their life and they get hurt. Now they don't know their body. They're not aware. And now they have a big problem. They're really in a hole. You know what I mean? So having that practice becomes so helpful later on when you really hit a wall. You know, you know your body, you know how to move. So you can do things that are going to help you, but you're not starting from scratch. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying today's chapter so far. There's great stuff coming up after the break too. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening and visit buymeacoffee.com slash Olivia podcasts to support the show. There you can make a one-time donation or become a member for as little as $5 a month. Membership comes with some awesome perks, including a shout out in the next episode, a monthly newsletter, a monthly Zoom call with me, and more. You can also visit links.oliviabioni.com slash affiliates to check out some sweet deals on products I use and love. Now back to the show. I don't know where I want to go from this. I do want to get your advice for new teachers, but I also want to know how the 
how you started really combining this patterning and this this neurology component to your Pilates. So where do you want to go from here? Because I want to go everywhere. Well, I'll talk about I'll talk about that. I tend to be a super researcher, super nerd, and when when uh, books started being published and literature and research was being released more commonly in the public about the fact that our brains are plastic and that you know there's all these things around the the brain i'm like you know i should read this stuff this might be helpful for me in my in my work i should really check this out and like books like uh, the body keeps the score you know all this stuff and i i'm i'm open the books and i'm like this is exactly what i'm doing this is how i'm teaching this is what i'm and i just couldn't believe like book after book after book was confirming what i've been doing for years and i was like oh i don't need research i just need the validation for what i'm doing is real and so then what it did is it gave me a vocabulary it wasn't that like one day i'm like you know what starting today i'm doing neurological work i'd always been doing that i did that with myself first it was about finding a pattern that could stick reinforcing it having that pattern be stronger than the one that i had prior so that i could actually have a new pattern take over because you don't you don't forget the pattern until you have a pattern strong enough to live on and even then the older you get, the harder it is to lose that old pattern, <laughs> you know, but I got this vocabulary. Like I've been working with the brain this whole time. Now I have words. I can create more intention around this and lean in to this idea. And I think it's really needed in the Pilates world. I think it's, it's a missing piece for teachers that are struggling because they have so much at their fingertips. It's valuable and they're missing a really big piece of the puzzle that I discovered along the way. And I would just want to share it with people. Yeah. I mean, I, in my own work, I work with a lot of older adults. And so I know that that becomes a growing concern in terms of balance and coordination and like our, our brains involved in all of our movements. And it's definitely to not address it is like, we're not going to do any leg exercises. Like who needs legs? Like you need your brain. Like we need to work our brain. Can you break down for people who may not be familiar when you're talking about a pattern can you give me like kind of an example of like what a pattern might be and how you would change it let's make this really easy for people because um when you start talking about the brain pilates teachers can get really like oh yeah i teach pilates i don't really do this brain stuff but i'm going to tell you if you teach pilates you're doing brain stuff you're just really primarily focused in proprioception you're just focused on muscles and joints and that's awesome and needed and important. But what's missing is your visual system and your vestibular system. And when you put all three of those together, that's really where it's at. And for me, that was, it was the discovery. I told you that, that cerebral palsy piece was one big arm of my story. But the other piece of this is that, you know, I failed first grade. I didn't, I didn't have the ability to read. Who fails first grade? I mean, I do right? But I, I couldn't read. We changed schools and my reading was off. By the time I got to third grade, my teacher's like, uh, he has a really hard time reading. We're going to give him more reading to do. And at that time, at that time, I didn't have homework. You, you know, that wasn't something that was given, but I had homework because I couldn't get my reading done in school. So I had reading to do and homework already. And then my teacher's like, here's more of the thing you can't do because there was no sense as to why I wasn't able to read. I could comprehend the words. I was literate. You know, I, I was able to function. So 
then I, in college, I was like, I have to read in college. So I would get up early in the morning, six and seven in the morning to do my reading. Because what happened for me is when I was reading, I'd fall asleep. Like two sentences in, I would just literally fall asleep. So I couldn't read in the afternoon or evening because I just couldn't, I couldn't manage it. So, um, you know, I got through college. That was great. And then I decided that how I would learn would be audiobooks. Instead of reading, I'd listen to audiobooks. But I had such shame around the idea of doing audiobooks instead of reading. I would just say I'm reading books. How, how this became a part of my career is that I was going to a conference in California and I was telling a client, I'm reading this book series and it's really, it's really fun. It's really like a youth book series, but I really enjoy it and I need to get the next book because I'm, I'm ready for the next one. Well, I mean, in my head, audiobook that I'm going to listen to on my phone. So the next time she comes in, she brings me a copy of that book to read. And I'm like, oh, now I've got to get the audiobook and listen to it on the, on the plane so I can report back that, oh, thank you so much for the book. It was great. You know, all this story I have to manufacture around this issue because I know that I'm not going to be able to read the book. I go to the conference and I, I do just like a few minutes of vision therapy with somebody at a booth. And it was like, that was awesome. And I went back to my booth and I, a friend had stuck by and I missed them. So they wrote me a list, like page long note. And I picked up the paper and I read it like I've never read in my life. I couldn't believe how fast I read. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And, and that, was the, that was like the spark of, I've got to bring the eyes into my work. I have to do this. And when I started doing research and you can look at, there's like really high level intensive programs that do this kind of work. You can do, there's vision therapists that specialize that do amazing work. But for me, I was like, yeah, I'm really like eight inside and I want a game. <laughs> I want to make this fun and accessible because vision therapy and vestibular therapy is super serious and boring. Like it just is. And every client that I get that comes in that's been to those therapies, they bring me their worksheets and I'm like, do you do your homework? And they're like, no, it's terrible. I hate it. It's boring. It hurts. I'm like, yeah, let's make this fun. So it was, it was really the fact that I discovered that the eyes played such a huge role in my life that I, I really dove in to bringing that to my work. And so when you talk about patterning and you talk about like issues with a client, let's make this about the teacher, okay? You're, you're with your client, you're on the reformer, and you, you keep having to correct their pelvis. They keep tucking their pelvis under as they push the machine out. And you're like, no, no, no. I want your pelvis here. And you tell them all the things to use and how to hold it. And you give them a prop and all of the things. <laughs> and they just can't make it work. Well, you are using their proprioception system to fix an issue that lives in a higher order system. It lives in the eyes. It lives in the inner ear. So if you have a weakness in your eyes or a weakness in the inner ear, you can't fix it at the proprioception level because your brain listens to your eyes first. It's going to override whatever's going on in the joint. So you can get that person literally off the reformer. I use the brain speed ball that I invented because that was my, I had to make it a game. So I was like, we play a game of brain speed ball. We get back on the reformer and look, the pelvis works fine because we exercise the eyes. We got the visual system, which the brain needs to change and fill in gaps. So that's a long story to tell you. Like that's, that's how I got here. That's wild. Oh my gosh. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause as soon as you're like, they keep tucking their pelvis. I'm like, let's get a ball. Let's poke them here. Like, let's do these things. And you're trying to help. You're trying to good. help with the tools <laughs> that you have, but this is, this is a different system. That's, that's so interesting. And it's got to change the way you teach because 
once you know, it's like I'm trying to solve an apple problem with a banana and you just keep giving them banana, but they need an apple. So how has that changed sort of the way you teach? Is this something you like bring out on occasion? Do you do specific classes for this when clients work with you? Is it totally client centered? Like how has this changed the way you teach or? So with clients, this is, they're coming into my studio. They're coming to McIntyre Pilates for their Pilates class, for their Pilates session. So this game, it lasts for like a minute or three minutes. This is not like now you're here for brain therapy. It's just, we're going to incorporate movement of all your systems. So you're moving your legs and your spine and your pelvis and your shoulders and your eyes. That's it. It's just, it's just the, the next exercise is for your eyes because it's going to help with the next thing. Just like you want to help the knees, you better help the ankles. You want to help the hips, you better help the knees. <laughs> you want to help the ribs, you better help the pelvis. You know, you, you have to work up the chain with how our bodies function. So you want to help your whole system and your brain actually be able to fix what's going on, you better address your eyes because your eyes are taking in 80% of the information your brain needs to function. So you're leaving out a huge piece if there's a gap there, if there's a weakness. And I don't mean acuity. I don't mean like how sharp you see something. I literally mean the range of motion of your eyes, the strength of your eyes, how well they work together because all those muscles tie to controlling your eyes. And if your eyes can't work together, then the information going to your brain is, is cloudy and it's off and it's compensated. And then, you know, then your output is compensated because if you have better sensory input, you get better output across the board for everything. This, this is like a totally, for me, a different way of thinking about things. Like I'm super excited. Your book is on my reading list because I feel like just like in Pilates and you've been in the Pilates land longer than I have, but there's this trend towards it's, it's like an addition trend where it's like, okay, well, we understand muscles pretty well and we understand bones pretty well. Um, and now we're talking about other systems that are feeding into, that are like drastically affecting how our muscles and bones do the thing that they do and rubber band move us around like Muppets. But this brain piece, it seems to be like very not included in current trainings, but I see where the need is there for like all populations, not just older adults, like you were talking about people who have m wide ranging stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really is the go-to tool for like, if you have kids and you want to help them with their focus and regulation and sort of like their inner environment, it's awesome. It just helps them so much. When you're talking about fall prevention, you better be talking about the inner ear because if you want to help people with balance, it isn't putting them on a wobble disc, by the way. Like, that's great for some stability training and some reaction, but that's not balance. And so often standing on a wobble cushion is looked at as balance training, but to do balance training, you have to be moving your head. You have to find all the pathways where you're moving your head in various positions and movements. Otherwise you're not really doing balance training because balance lives in the inner ear. That vestibular system has to be addressed. And so often we're laying on your back still and we're sitting still and we're prone still. You know, there's not a lot of intentional head and eye movement. Mm. I think that, you know, I love Pilates. I feel like I have to put disclaimers out all the time. I do love Pilates, but I don't think that Joseph Pilates Pilates had all the ingredients necessary for life in the world. So I love that, you know, awesome, cool, intelligent people such as yourself are contributing to Pilates in a way that makes the work work for more people. Yeah, 
I think I think Joseph Pilates was brilliant. And I don't think for a moment that he was done creating. And I don't see his work as as something that's that start and stopped. And that is Pilates. I I love that there are people who want to teach the way they know has been taught. I think that's a lot of value. It does preserve history. It's really important. But if you just look at the evolution of the reformer, it's been many things. It had weights attached to it at one point. It wasn't even springs. That was insane. I'm so glad that we didn't do that because I can, I'm not a height person. I would not be up on a 20-foot platform with counterweights moving the bed. No thanks. Mm-mm. Not for me. Yeah. So for me, I think I don't think he was done creating. And when I look at the the furniture line that converts into equipment and the innovation, he was really innovative. And and certainly, I think that any modality that has time evolves and gets incorporated in, into other things and becomes what it needs to be to help the people of the time. Yeah, I do think I see Joe, I think, first and foremost, as an inventor and like yourself as a problem solver that people came in and they had problems, their feet didn't do what they wanted, or their knee didn't do what they wanted, their hip didn't do what they wanted. And so even within lineages, when we see differences between exercises, it, it just my personal thought that Joe may have taught it them differently, because someone needed something different. And it doesn't make it less Pilates or like less good because you do this version or this version. It's like, what are we addressing? Like, what is the problem that we're solving? It's going to be different for different people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you share uh, a bit about this movement gap? Because we've, you've alluded to, but Pilates teachers are in like a really great place to help people in ways that others aren't. So tell me about this. This is like, if you, if there's one thing you can take away from our conversation, this is it. I'm telling you, this is a game changer if you have this perspective. Because this is what's happening in our world. Your clients, the people around you, they're getting injured. They're having some kind of dysfunction, some kind of disease. They go to PT, they go to their therapies, they go to their doctor, and then they're done with those people and they're not better. And so they fall into what I call is the movement gap where they're, they're done with with what the medical profession can help them with, which is super important. But the medical profession is not designed to take you across the finish line. It never was. So you can't look at it like that. It's not that we have to be mad at them. It's more like, what is it? Okay, now that we know that, that they're not there to take you across the finish line 100%, how do you fill in that gap? Because that's where you sit. You can't, you, you're done with the PT, you're done with the therapies that you needed. You're not really able to do the things you want to do in your life. And Pilates teachers sit in this space where that's exactly what we do. And if you can see yourself in that space and you can talk to your clients about that's what you do. Somebody comes in and you specialize in helping people out of that movement gap, your schedule will be full because there's gazillions of people who are in that gap and suffering and not knowing what to do and how to get better. And they're not going to go to the gym. They're not going to ride a bike. They're not going to go for a walk. They, they, they don't know what to do and they don't feel well. So that movement gap is, is just really an opportunity. And I believe in my heart that it's the future of our profession. It's a future of how we do what we do because we have such freedoms in the work we do. We don't have walls controlling all the moves we make. And that's, that's beautiful, but that's really the opportunity. If you can see through the lens of where clients are really sitting in their life, then it's huge. You have better conversations with your clients and it helps your client understand 
your role in their life? I think my favorite thing about teaching Pilates is that it's not, you know, I mean, technically we sell packages, but it's not like, okay, well, I see you five times and then I never see you again because it's not covered by your insurance anymore and you should be rehabbed. Um, We really can be there through, you know, a client's life. I have clients who I've been seeing for the entire time I've been a teacher and I know my teaching has changed and their needs have changed that Maybe when I first started seeing them, they were like right out of PT for a hamstring tear. But, you know, now we've moved on to other things and we're solving other problems and things that hadn't even been a possibility because the thing that got them into that movement gap was such a pressing issue, this like continued pain in their hamstring. And now that's like, oh, yeah, that used to bother me. And I used to like be awake at night in pain. But now that's like not even a thing. Now I want to lift this or do teaser. I've got a client who's like 80 years old working on teaser. And it's like the coolest thing ever. Because, because that, wasn't even, that wasn't even in the cards of what we were going to work on when I first started seeing them. But it, we can evolve with them and like what the Pilates they do, the movement they do changes over the course of their life as well. And it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, it's it's really an honor. I mean, for me, I have clients that I've had for 25 years. That blows my mind. Holy moly. You know, it, it's amazing. And and you with them through so many huge life, you know, occurrences, like whether they're good or they're bad and they're ugly. And because you're there and you've always been there at 25 years, they they show up differently. They know how what to tell you and what to give you to help them more. You know, the newer client doesn't know what to say, doesn't know what to share that they should share. Or, you know, you know, those clients are like three months in, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, uh, I have uh, part of my spine is artificial. I had it removed and caged back together. You're like, what? <laughs> You're telling me that now? Goodness gracious, right? I didn't know. I didn't know you needed to know. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I need to know these things because they don't know how to see us. They don't know how we feel, feel the, the gaps in their in their life. And that's why I'm telling you like, to talk about the movement gap, to talk about filling in that space and to have the, the training and the, the experience with people that do that so that you can talk to your clients with that, they'll understand you. They'll know how to show up and they'll, you'll be able to do better work with them. Yes. Yes, definitely. What is your advice for new teachers who maybe they're in teacher training and maybe they're hearing this and they're like, wow, this is cool. Um, what can you share for them? Well, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, like capital R, relax. Just relax. Just relax. <laughs> and I mean this with like all of the love and heart I have because when you're in a teacher training program, there's a lot of pressure to get all the things right and to remember and know all of the things and all the modifications. And I would much rather have a teacher that could sit and be with somebody and be present and take in what's going on and give them a few solutions that are meaningful than making sure they do 17 exercises in this order with these springs and this breath. You know, that's cool that that's possible. And I do love a good class. It's got 25 things that flows really well. Super awesome. But know that your teacher training is not who you are as a professional. You have the opportunity to decide who you are as a professional, your teacher training is your education. It's really important and you do it, but also decide who you are as a professional. Relax about all the pressures to get everything right and decide who you are as a professional and show up 
consistently as that person. That is great. I mean, I think that's good advice for me also, because even I, I think you, there is that pressure and sometimes we put that pressure on us and sometimes that's almost like an industry standard and clients like expect that like, oh, I'm going to tell you that my shoulder hurts and then you're going to fix it. And it's like, well, <laughs> maybe <laughs> let's try, let's try some things. Um, I think it is, I think it is valuable. And, and what you touched on right there is that sort of self-assurance, knowing yourself piece, and then being able to be yourself with other people is huge because that relationship, the relationship we have with our clients is very different than a doctor patient is very different from a physical therapist and a patient. Like we are with our clients through their lives. Like I know people whose grandkids are going off to college for the first time and people who are getting married and they're on vacation. They're just like all of these life moments. Like we're, we're not like a part of it, but we're like a part of it at the same time. Well, you're part of a support structure. I mean, you are how, they, how they're able to go do these things, how they can stand up and how they can walk and function and, joy, and have joy and dance and all the things that they want to do. Move their kids in, help with the grandkids, build the loft at college, you know, whatever it might be. That's so true. That's so, so true. So it's not like you aren't doing a million things, but if people wanted to hang out with you or know more about what you're working on, how can they find you, connect with you, and learn all about the brain? Yeah, I would invite everyone to go to fireproofbrain.com. And that's where you can, you can really get more information on my story and kind of, I kind of unpack failing first grade I, and just kind of share share the journey because I think we all have our own journey. And I think if you can, you can see someone's journey, you can start to reflect on your own because your own story matters in your work. And the more you can bring your story to your work and how you problem solve and how you help clients, the more meaningful it is for your clients and the more real you show up as. You're not just showing up as someone who's spitting back your teacher training manuals, but you know you had a struggle and you got through your struggle and you know what it's like. And so your clients can relate to that. So that's my invitation. Excellent. Is there anything else you want to share or touch on that I did not ask you about? Anything else you want to chip in? I, I would just say this. I, I would encourage every teacher to make the promise that I make to my clients. I promise my clients on a regular basis, one of three things is going to happen. It's going to get better. It's going to get worse. Or it's going to stay the same. I promise. I do that because I don't want any pressure more than I already put on myself to do a good job, to be perfect, to have the right answer. So they, they know I'm going to make choices and it's going to work. It's not going to work. It's going to stay the same. But know that the reason why you're going to choose to work with me is because based on what happens, I'm going to make another choice and we're going to go another direction. So if it's not working, I'll make another choice. If it's staying the same, I'll make another choice. But if it's getting better, I'm going to lean in. And that's why you're going to want to work with me. So if you need clients, that's the story you share. If you that's something you feel like it resonates with you and that you can own and you can practice, it's a shift for some people, but it's the reality of what happens. It's either going to get better or worse or say the same every time. One of those three things is going to happen. It's like, it, for me, that's like such an exhale moment, even though I know that that's true. It just like makes me exhale and relax a bit because Another pressure that I think Pilates teachers put on themselves is like what you do in the session is super important, but it's not what they do for the other 23 hours of their day and the other seven days of their week. And so sometimes, you know, you'll have a client, they do swan and then they're like, oh my gosh, my back is killing me. And then they blame swan. And it's like, maybe 
it's your oldest child leaving home. Like, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but it's possible that that's stressful, you know, or that there's other things going on. And so to be on the same page with your clients and say, look, this is what we're going to do together. Um, and then I also tell them that they do other things in their life that could also be it. Um, no, I think that I think you're onto something there. And to say that up front, I think is just having that communication with your clients and being like, look, here's how it goes. We'll go from there. Yeah, I, and, and it helps remove that fix me issue. I don't, I don't ever want to teach to be in the position where your clients are saying fix me. That's a client that I'm firing quickly. If they can't shift out of fix me, uh, I can't work with them because they don't, they don't want me. They don't need me. They want someone who's going to do it for them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be annoying because I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to make you do it over and over again. You're not going to like me because <laughs> you don't want to do that. But I, I mean, research supports what you're saying, though, Trent, because people who are an active participant in their recovery are more likely to recover. So good. Imagine like neurologically reinforcing the pattern yourself actually accomplishes the goal versus having somebody do it for you. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, Trent, why are we all doing that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, what's really beautiful is that Pilates teachers can fill in the gap until the client can do it themselves. There's a lot of value in helping like get them going, but it doesn't mean you always do it for them. You might assist them and show them and guide them and mirror them and support them physically with hands-on corrections. But that at some point, training wheels are off and they're not depending on you to fix them. Right. What are we going to do? Follow them around and like poke their pelvis constantly and be like, no, not like that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, for coming on, for sharing your story. Um, what you said about sharing stories, I think is huge. And that's a big thing of every conversation I have with teachers is I want to know how you got from where you were to where you are, because that's literally what being alive is like. And as Pilates teachers, we all come at the work with our own experience and our own what resonates with us and the problems we see and solve and all of that. So thank you so, so much for sharing uh, your story and your advice today, Trent. Oh, you're welcome. Olivia, this was a great time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this week's chapter of Pilates Teacher's Manual, your guide to becoming a great Pilates teacher. Check out the podcast Instagram at Pilates Teacher's Manual and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. For more Pilates goodness, check out my other podcast, Pilates Student's Manual, available everywhere you listen to podcasts. The adventure continues. Until next time.